0: Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from
1: Indianapolis, Indiana. And I'm Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma. Good morning, Carol. Good morning, Dee. We are one week from Christmas. Oh my gosh, don't scare me like that. I'm sorry. Did I scare you? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think my shopping's mostly done, but I don't have my presents wrapped. Well... You'll get them wrapped before you. You have a whole week, D. <laughs> a whole week, yeah. You make it sound so easy, Carol. It it should be easy. Christmas isn't about being all stressed out and uptight. Uh, says the woman who doesn't have four children and isn't married. And yeah, I'm not even bringing up mom, but whatever. We'll keep going. How would you like to hear a quote? I want to change the subject. Let's hear the quote, D. How many lessons of faith and beauty we should lose if there were no winter in our year? Thomas Wentworth Higginson.
0: That's a lovely quote for winter, Dee.
1: It is, and you picked it out, so kudos to you. Well, thank you. I just thought it was really
0: nice. We we are probably going to gripe about winter all winter long, but
1: without winter, you can't really appreciate spring and summer and fall. True, and although it is hard to appreciate summer in Oklahoma, I get what you're saying. Um, Okay, so our flower for today, or do you have some news to tell me? News. I don't think I have any news. I notice you have a fetching sweatshirt on.
0: Oh, I have on my Christmas cottontail sweatshirt with a illustration from the book, The Christmas Cottontail, which is, uh, I'd like to say it's flying off the store shelves on its way to Thousands and thousands of children's, but not exactly. But it is, I think, a wonderful children's book.
1: I mean, not exactly flying off the shelves and in Santa's sleigh, but you did get a really sweet, sweet message from a reader, a very enthusiastic reader.
0: I got uh, some texts from a reader, and uh, she's four years old, and she loved it. And so her grandma helped her text me. As many pretty emo- emoticons as they could find. And then I texted back some some stuff too. So it was really fun. But she really enjoyed it. And she loved texting with the author of the book. We should put
1: that on her um, story. That reminds me of when Claire was little. She loved, oh, and I'm not going to be able to remember the author's name now. But she loved Mr. Tabby, Mr. Putter and Tabby, those books. And she actually wrote a postcard to the author. And the author sent her something back with stickers. So this is like the modern version of stickers. You guys did emojis.
0: There you go. I love that. That's what we did. Well, we'll have to find those other books, and we'll put links to the Christmas Cottontail on our show notes, and we'll put links to those other books.
1: To Mr. Petter and Tabby. Oh, my gosh. You've got some yes. little nieces and nephews. You should buy those for them. Anyway, I digress. We're going to talk should. about our flower. And the flower is? The flower is calendula officinalis, which is Mary's gold. And so it's also commonly called pot marigold. And um, in England, when they talk about marigolds, they're talking about calendula. In the United States, when we talk about marigolds, we're usually talking about tagetes, which is the standard marigolds that have kind of the funny smell and there's all different varieties. And the reason for that is... Why, Carol? Why do people in England talk about pot marigold more than the summery one we have?
0: Well, because the summery one we have is a native of Mexico, and probably when they first were growing calendula, marigolds didn't exist in England, would be my guess.
1: That's part of it, I think. I think the other part is, it is a lot cooler in England, and they can grow calendula for a very long time. Where I live, and I actually do grow it, is almost a winter flower, not quite, but almost. And it's, I put in the seeds in early February, or I put them in, I go ahead and grow them on in January and then pot them out in late February, early March, because they need to really get going and blooming before it gets hot here. And I do grow them for a lot of reasons. I think they're pretty, for one thing. They
0: are pretty and they have a distinction. The other distinction from the other marigolds is the calendula are actually edible,
1: and nobody would eat the other marigolds, the no. common marigolds, I'll call them. Those wouldn't taste very good. <laughs> and, you know, there's that old tradition with the with the, Mar- the United States marigolds, I'll call them that, that um, they're grown with tomatoes because supposedly they're supposed to repel certain insects, And that's been proven that it's not so true, except if you buy those really, really stinky varieties. And, you know, we call them stinky and stuff. I don't
0: really mind the smell of them all that much.
1: Neither do I. Neither do I. How about we say highly scented?
0: That would be good. To me, they smell like summer. And they actually bloom in late summer.
1: Yeah, here they bloom all summer. But sometimes they get spider mites, but that's another, that's another podcast on spider mites. Um, let's talk some more about calendula. So why do you think both plants are called marigold? Um, you know why
0: you're, I not- don't know. D, go ahead. <laughs> I'm letting you tell because. I'm like, I don't
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so marigold, they're called that because it's Mary's gold and it refers to the Virgin Mary, which why that's why we're doing it as a Christmas plant because of the Virgin Mary, right? And so when they first started putting plants, here's my theory about all that. I have a whole talk on Marian flowers and there and almost all flowers in European gardens are they have Marian names. There's all different types, right? Mary's bed straw, Mary's, you know, lady's mantle. There's just so many different ones. My theory is this: the first, the first flower that they started calling by Marian names was the rose. Okay, and so oh yeah, early on monks. So early on monks had gardens. They were some of the first people to have gardens, and um. They, I think they got tired of just growing medicinal plants and things to eat, right? And so they decided to grow roses because roses are considered an herbal and they are related to apples. So I can see how roses made it into their gardens, right? But then there are these really showy flowers and they're monks. And so some of the orders were really, really strict back then. And my theory is they thought, well, you know what? The rose is the queen of the flowers and Mary is the queen of heaven, um in Catholic nomenclature, so I think they thought, you know what, we're just going to call the rose the queen of the flowers for Mary, all right? And so then, once that little door was opened, they just kept bringing in more flowers, <laughs> and so almost every plant, oh. almost every plant is named after Mary, so it's a really fun talk that I do, and I do it a lot for Catholic churches, and sometimes for Methodist churches and garden groups, but anyway, it's fascinating, There aren't that many American plants that are named after Mary, but there are a few. And uh, the marigold, I think because because monks came through Mexico, saw the golden flower and thought, this is another one for Mary's gold. So there you go. That's why calendula, which is so different from the marigold, are both called marigolds.
0: Okay, I am. I am not confused. So that is good. You are not confused. I, so, I explained it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you explained it very well. So the pot marigold or the calendula, the part that you would eat is actually the petals.
1: Yeah, because the leaves so are fuzzy. It looks.
0: It looks really good in salads. I wouldn't like replace the lettuce in the salad with <laughs> marigold petals. Do you I would the- just sprinkle a few on top.
1: When we talk about edible what? flowers, when we talk about edible flowers, you do this every time. You go, "Okay, I wouldn't completely replace lettuce or other greens with just flowers in your bowl. I think you're alarmed that people are going to just put old big old calendula in their mouth and just eat it and be very distressed." Yeah, it would it would be good. They need ranch dressing, I'm sure. So what you don't know about Carol, everybody, is that she's not an adventurous eater right? What? (laughs) I? No, you're not. You're not. (laughs) Okay. And she doesn't, she doesn't like seafood and she doesn't like fish. And so, and a lot of people don't. I get that. You live in the middle of the country. Maybe it's not your thing, but um, I don't think, I think it's okay to add petals to a salad. It's pretty. I
0: think, I think it would be okay as well. And I, I should try to grow some. I grew some a long time ago. But I haven't grown any. I should grow
1: some out in the vegetable garden. Maybe I'll get some seeds and start it. Oh, you should, because they're really, really pretty. And they look good in the vegetable garden, and they look good elsewhere, too. But I usually put mine in my potager. So we have several varieties to try. Yeah, because most of them are a yellow, goldish, or even to the orange. But there are some that are pink, like Pink Surprise. Right. Pinkish. Pinkish. Um, the flashback series from Renee Seeds, they um, they come in various colors, including a pinkish color, but then you can go all the way to the other end of the calendula rainbow section, and that is radio, and radio comes from Chiltern Seeds in England, and it's a really cool shade of orange and has very long petals, and
0: then there's zeolites from Botanical Interest, Kind of a pink, almost pink to rust color. It has looked very pretty in their, their uh, drawing on their website. We should get
1: that one, too. Yeah, we should. We should buy that one from them. Um, I'm going to say that I've grown the Flashback Series, and the pink in it is really more of an apricot or a peach. So don't expect it to be a really pink, pink. It's a lot like uh, the daffodils that have pink cups. They aren't really that pink, and they turn to a subtle shade of peach by the time they're done. So one more thing about calendula, you will see it a lot in natural food stores um, to use to be used as a cream or a salve to soothe skin. People use it for eczema. And you can also make a tea from the blooms, and you can buy dried petals everywhere. Um, I can never get enough to grow to dry my own petals, and honestly, I don't need any calendula tea, but um, they really – They really are pretty, and I'm sure it makes a pretty tea. It probably is a very yellow tea, like turmeric.
0: Yeah, it sounds pretty. And so the advice I'd give to people is grow calendula, but don't grow it as an annual that's going to flower all summer long. Treat it like a crop and put it out in your vegetable garden early and let it grow, let it flower, pick off all the flowers, um, dry them, put them on salads, do whatever you want. I think that's the way to handle it. Put it in the vegetable garden.
1: (laughs) And I think you can just put it anywhere you want. But you can pull off the petals fresh, and they are really good in salads. And it does come uh to fruition about the same time that your lettuce does in Oklahoma. When your lettuce is ready to pick, usually your calendula is too. And it just is really, really pretty. And you could put it in there with some pansies or violas, and it'd be a beautiful salad. And everybody would think you were super fancy. Woohoo! We want to be super fancy. We fancy people. <laughs> Shall we move on to the vegetable, Dee? Yes, we should. I think you should do this one because it's awesome, this this quote.
0: Here's the quote. We have a line from a poem by Walt Whitman. Behold this compost, behold it well. And he wrote a poem called This Compost. So, Dee, I have another poem that I've read that's called The Compost Heap, and it's by a British poet named Ruth Pitter. And so I know of those two poems. So now I kind of tell people, I says, yeah, I have a collection of poems about compost.
1: <laughs> do you do that at your talk? Of course I do. I do a poetry reading of the compost heap. I just thought of something. What? How did your Marigold National Collection go? The English poet reminded me. How'd that go? It did, it did not go well. I'm going to
0: work on a different collection with a smaller number of Plants to work with, so I'm gonna. We'll talk about that after the new year. My new collection, your new
1: national collection, exactly. Because the Brits always have national collections. Anyway, back to your poetry collection. Shouldn't you have three poems to make that a collection?
0: Well, you know what? I think I might have a third poem. (laughs) I can't put my finger on it right now, but I at least have the compost heap, and um, I'll just tell you what it's about. And then um, people would have to book me for a talk, and I would do a reading of it. So it's a poem about a woman named Ethel Twig who okay. starts a compost pile. And she uh, goes around and picks up everything she can to put on her, her compost pile. And she even, they said, plucked the rose petals before they were even off the rose. And then she would look around to the neighbors, and so... She just fell in love with composting, basically, because when you see that stuff break down, I, I don't want to tell people this, it can get kind of addictive to keep adding to your compost pile. <laughs> but anyway,
1: <laughs> the poem kind of ends, her cat dies. Hey, whoa, 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 she whoa, about all... You're going all dark and scary now. Stop that. <laughs> they have to book you for a well, talk let's- to do this.
0: Yuck. Anyway... So I can I can do the poetry reading and uh let's talk let's talk about composting because winter time is actually a there's not much else going on in the garden. It's actually a pretty good
1: time to start some compost piles. Don't you think? Oh I guess. I mean yeah, sure. So what kind of compost do you have? Do you do it fast or do you do it slow? Yes. Come on.
0: What do you think? Go ahead,
1: Dee. What do you think? You're a lazy gardener like me, so yeah, you do it slow. And so, but you know what? Here's the thing. And I would think, oh, I need to chop every everything into little bitty pieces and turn it every few days and make sure it's watered. And I could have spent all my time working on compost instead of working in the garden. So I then I read Mrs. Green Thumbs. Remember Mrs. Green Thumbs?
0: Yes, Cassandra Dance. Very. She died much too young. Yes, I she remember did.
1: Her. And she used to write in. I think it was in Country Living that she wrote in, and she used to make me laugh so hard, and one of her best ever pieces was on being a lazy composter, and so after I read that, I decided I could just be one, and I am. Right.
0: So a lazy composter, just so people know, you just pile it up and
1: wait. Right. You need some green material. You need some brown material. And you guys can look that up as to what that is. But basically, fresh items are generally green, and items like leaves are brown. And it doesn't really mean the color. It it has more to do with how much nitrogen is in it. But I sort of separate things by the colors, green and brown, even though that's not technically the deal. I once had a master gardener get on to me because I called something a brown item that wasn't brown.
0: Well, and you know, I, I have a book on composting from Rodale. It's three, I think it's 3,000
1: pages. 3,000? 3, right? I thought you were going to say 300 and I was going to laugh. But 3,000, mm-hmm. that's ridiculous. Well, you, you talk for a minute and I'll go get the book
0: and I'll figure it out.
1: Okay, so we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, composting while, while Carol looks for her book, because she sits in her library, and uh, that's how she finds her book. Anyway, slow pile means you pile it up and wait. I take a lot of my leaves off of my front flower beds, because they're oak leaves, and they're super hard to de- decompose, and I take them off of my front little lawnette, which is fescue grass, because it's shaded. And then I take it all and shred it up with a shredder and I put it in leaf piles. But that is the only thing I shred. Everything else from the garden just goes in those same piles. And eventually at the bottom, I have beautiful black compost. So how many pages is that book, Carol? Well, we were both wrong. It's a thousand pages on
0: composting.
1: Okay. Well, a thousand is still a lot to say about compost.
0: It is. And you can, you can become a master composter. I think through extension services, they offer that. So there's a whole spectrum of composters, people that just like us to just pile stuff up. And then people that just go crazy trying to get it to heat up real fast and turn it all the
1: time. And God love them. Good for them. I, I have to like write things back and like take care of the garden and make sure I deadhead my roses and all this other stuff. I don't have time for that. We should tell people what not to put in a pile. Why don't you tell them? It's kind of gross. I'm going to let you do it. Well,
0: okay, so you put, um, when you do composting, it does heat up. And so the master composters, they actually have thermometers with great great big long stick things. And they can, like, it's it's like an, uh, a meat thermometer, but it's got like a three-foot long... Probe on it to figure out how hot the middle of the pile's getting. So, but if you do slow composting, your pile is not going to get that warm. So, no. nothing, no weeds, no weeds with seeds on them. In fact, yeah, no weeds. sure.
1: Although I put weeds in mine, but whatever. Go ahead. I know. I agree with you completely. I completely agree with you about that you're not supposed to put weed seeds in there, but I'm too lazy to cut them off, so I just throw them in there. And if I get weeds in my garden while I live out in the country, that's the way it goes. Okay, so yes, nothing with disease. Like, for example, tomatoes. We do not oh, put tomatoes our tomatoes. definitely go tomatoes. in the trash. Right, because definitely tomatoes the trash. have issues. All right, so what else? Now we're getting to the gross part.
0: Well, if you have a cat and you have cat litter or you have a dog and you scoop up dog poo... Don't put that in your compost pile. That's nasty. Basically, any, uh, I'll call it poo from an animal that eats meat should not go in the compost pile. Now, if you have chickens or rabbits or horses or cows, you're probably going to have a separate compost pile just for those manures. And we're not going to talk about that, but that's like a whole separate deal.
1: Right. And then believe, and believe it or not, people, manure is controversial. And we hate controversy, so we probably, we will talk about manure some, but not a lot. But you know what is good manure in a compost pile? Rabbit poo. Rabbit poo breaks oh, yeah. down really, really fast. So if you have a rabbit, throw that poo in there. That's okay.
0: Well, I was thinking about training the wild rabbits to go to the bathroom in the compost
1: pile. Wouldn't that be sweet? That'd be awesome if they would do that, but I doubt that they will. They'll probably just come eat your flowers because that's what rabbits do.
0: Anyway, some people kind of go crazy and they'll put, um, don't put any food scraps that would attract things like raccoons or rats. I mean, so I don't, or rats, I don't rush out there with banana pills and eggshells and things like that because that kind of thing is just going to attract the wrong kind of creatures to the compost pile.
1: So I put eggshells in mine, but really what I use my eggshells for. After I, I have my eggshells all in an old coffee tin and under my sink, and as soon as you take the egg out of them, I just throw them in there and keep them because they dry up really fast and they're very good for putting around hostas and other things because they're sharp. So I put them around hostas. I'm not, saying it's, I'm not saying it stops slugs, but it might slow them down just a little bit or make them think first.
0: Yeah. And then some people like to put uh, like newspaper and they'll get the lint out of the dryer. I just don't think there's a call for that. Don't have time. Don't be doing that. Don't have time. No. So then people, they have like uh, a three bin system. If you watch Monty Don on uh, Gardener's World, he has like a three, he's got like probably a 10 bin system. But the idea of a three bin system is you fill up one bin and when it's full, You turn that over into the next bin, and then you fill that. And then when that's full, you take the second bin and turn it to the third one and turn the first one back to the second one. So that's kind of sort of, it's not as fast as some, but it is a way to
1: kind of keep things going. It's a traditional, a really traditional system, um, unlike the tumblers and other things that people use. Here's the thing here. I, as as I was talking when you were over trying to find the 1,000-page book on composting, um, I have leaf piles. And so all of my compost goes on those leaf piles. And the truth is there are three piles. I don't put them in bins because when you've got a great big leaf shredder, you're just trying to get those leaves out of there. Um And we do put the leaves in different sections. So right now I have some really lovely broken-down compost, and I use the shredded leaves on my beds as mulch, too. So... But if you do that, you're going to have weeds. I'm just telling you because, you know, leaves. Leaves really help enrich the soil. So compost is really good at help holding water into the soil. It gives, makes the soil friable. Yeah, it does. And you, it
0: adds organic matter, no doubt about it. And there's nothing nicer than looking at your own
1: black compost that you've created yourself. I call it black gold. I do too. And you know why we call it black gold? Because it takes a long time to get it or a lot of effort. So it is like gold. And you can also make compost teas. There's some debate about whether that's a good thing or not. It doesn't hurt anything. So if you want to make compost tea, go for it. Um, Same thing with manure teas. There was something else I thought of too, and it just escapes my mind. Imagine that. Well, I'm going to tell you one more story
0: about compost. And okay. my brother in law, my brother-in law has a had a big pile, and he just piled it up at the end of the vegetable garden, a big pile of rotting compost and everything. And my sister sends me a picture a couple of weeks ago, and they got a new dog from a shelter um, and couldn't understand why the dog had been returned twice. Well, <laughs> the dog likes to dig, and she said, literally we'll dig three feet down. So she sent me a picture, and the dog had dug through all that compost and spread it all over the vegetable garden. So it kind of took care of it for them. So they didn't have to go out there and do that. The dog did it.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. Do you have that picture? Can we post it on our social media?
0: I will see if I can find it. I don't know if it really – unless you've had the before picture to see the compost pile, it just really looks like brown dirt. Well, there you go.
1: How nice of him to – do that for them. Yeah, Mine spreads nice. trash everywhere. He does trash because he's a hound dog and his nose is too good. So we certainly aren't going to put anything in the compost pile that he wants. That's for sure. So let's talk about our dirt, okay? I'm ready. I love so this the skirt.
0: other. I do too. So the other thing we do in the winter time is we get seed catalogs. Yes. So we're going to talk about some of our favorites.
1: People people do a lot of seed ordering online. It's easy, right? Back in the old days, you had to fill out a little piece of paper and then send off your um, check and all this stuff. And then the seeds would come and you don't have to do that anymore. You can just do it online. But I still like seed catalogs because after I you know am finished with Christmas, I like to sit down in my chair by the fire and just peruse them all. And there's so many good ones still being produced. Oh, there's some definitely good ones. And people say, well, you know,
0: it's paper and it's wasteful. But I really like to get the catalogs. Like you said, you can't dog ear a computer screen or underline things or circle because you're going to want more than you can actually ever plant.
1: Yeah, one of my problems is that, oh, my goodness, I order too many in the spring. Sometimes I do a seed giveaway, just because I'm silly like that.
0: <laughs> so some of our favorites, of course, we love Botanical Interest, which is based out of Colorado. And Yes, uh, these are
1: some of our dear friends, and uh, we really enjoy them. Botanical Interest has a,
0: a a nice selection, and the catalog is all hand-drawn, all the seed packets, and so it's really a really pretty catalog to look at.
1: It is. And it's a great reference catalog too. They have a lot of information. So that's really nice. And then there's the big the big mama of catalogs, Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds. That one is almost like your compost book. It's super thick with lots of information. It's all printed on kind of newsprint or recycled paper. So I think that is probably better for the environment. And you could compost it after you're done with it if you don't keep it.
0: And they actually have two versions of that catalog. They have the free one you can get. But if you go to the magazine stands in the store, they've got a for sale copy that's like twice as thick and twice as much information. Yeah.
1: It's almost like a book. (laughs) I've only, I only get the free one and that's, that's more than I know what to do with it. And then there's Burpee.
0: Yes, Burpee. I. Uh, Burpee was the one we always ordered out of when I was a kid, and I would help my dad fill out the order form. And so that's still a good one. Lots of good varieties, lots of old varieties, lots of new stuff. I like the Burpee.
1: And then there's Chilterns, which we talked about a little bit earlier when we were discussing Calendula. And Chilterns is a great catalog to have, and you can order from them even though they're in Great Britain. They do ship to the United States. And seeds don't cost that much. You can't get plants from Great Britain, but you can bring home seeds. And you can ask for them to be delivered. And then there's Johnny's
0: Selected Seeds, which is a great catalog, especially if you grow vegetables. I think of them as having just a ton of great vegetables. And if you need bigger quantities, Johnny's has a lot of bigger – they have bigger quantities of seeds.
1: They also – I shouldn't be telling you guys this because I haven't ordered mine yet, but they have a lot of zinnias, and they carry – the Oklahoma zinnias that are super disease resistant in separate colors. Because I hate the Oklahoma mix personally, because it has this icky golden yellow in it. And don't get me wrong, I like golden yellow. I just don't like this shade of this zinnia, And there's a whole lot of it in that mix. So I buy them separately. And there's like an Oklahoma carmine. I think there's an Oklahoma red may not be called red it may be called some fancy name for red but they carry all of those so i better run and buy those right now after we finish recording and then if you want smaller
0: quantities of seed pine tree garden seeds is great for the home gardener and i've ordered from them because uh, it's a smaller packet and there's a smaller number of seeds in it but sometimes if you're maybe starting your own tomatoes you don't need 50 seeds of that one variety that the, the no. 10 or so they send you is good and it's and they're less
1: expensive, right? And we'll be linking to some of these catalogs so you can just go right over there and order them. Some you do have to pay for, and some you don't. And then
0: um, Renee's Garden Seeds is always she always has a lot of fun varieties and always something new over there. We like
1: Renee. She does. We do. She's she's a really nice person too. We have some really nice people in the seed industry. Yeah, I don't think mean people get into the seed business, Dee. No, and I think the seed business is hard, so we should all buy more seeds. <clears throat> so I had not heard of Swallowtail Garden Seeds. Tell mm. me about them, Dee. Swallowtail is really nice. Um Swallowtail carries a lot of different types of seeds, including some of the special zinnias that are out there. They also carry some really neat annual, other annual flowers that you don't see in almost every... In fact, almost every annual flower out there. And I have also bought, they may not have it this year, but in the past, I have bought some really good grass seeds from them before because I like to grow some of the small ornamental grasses like bunny tail, and they have those. And so they have almost everything. It's I'm looking at their website right now. Like tithonia, sometimes tithonia is hard to find. Uh, Mexican sunflower, they have it. I'm sure they also have calendula because they have everything else.
0: Well... So this is really probably going to be a costly episode for you and I, because we're going to go to all these seed catalogs. We're going to look at all of them. I'm afraid so. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's the way it happens. You know what else I have, Dee? What? I have some old seed catalogs. I have some from the 1930s that I just thought were interesting. And they're great if you... If you ever want to know if a variety existed in the 1930s, you can look at some of these old catalogs and if it's listed there, it was a variety back then.
1: That's neat. I don't really have um I I was trying to think. I don't I don't think I have any old seed catalogs, but I and I'm not going to buy any because I'm going to let you have them all on eBay. Well, and uh
0: to these days, um I recycle all my seed catalogs. In fact, I've got a whole bunch that I'm going to toss from that from last year, but for some right. reason back back in 1976, when we were all crazed about the bicentennial, I did save my burpee seed catalog from that year. I still have it so someday it'll be is the cover red, white, and blue? No, not really oh okay I'll hold on, keep talking and I'll look.
1: well i was thinking since it's the bicentennial i don't even know if our younger listeners know about the bicentennial the year 1976 was our 200th anniversary in the united states and so we celebrated it in a big big way everything was red white and blue that year but she's looking for a catalog now i have it and we'll put a picture of it so in 1976
0: which sounds weird to say 1976 like it was like it was a long time ago, and apparently it was forty-three years Cause, ago. Because it was, it was a long time ago. So Burpee was actually celebrating their one hundredth anniversary themselves.
1: Neato! And oh, cool! And guess what? It's red. It's red, white, and blue. Well, no, it's not really.
0: On the cover, they they gave news. they have an article about. They awarded $10,000 for the person who could grow the first white marigold. And so they have that story in there about the first white marigold. That was I remember growing. when that was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, that was a really big deal. It went to Miss Mrs. Alice Vonk of Sully, Iowa <laughs> in 1975,
1: and it's got her picture.
0: Very cool. That's
1: cool. We should t- take a picture of that for our story today, and too. And then the other one is there's... Um,
0: the burpee big girl tomato came out in 1976 and it was a big new variety and was on the cover
1: so far that you got red and white i'm just saying
0: that's that's it i mean there's no blue no blue no blue <laughs>
1: <laughs> so hey everybody thanks for reminiscing with us as we talked over the garden gate this morning we can be found everywhere everywhere Anywhere good podcasts are found, and we can also be found on Facebook under The Garden Angelists, and you can ask us questions there. You can ask questions at thegardenangelists at gmail.com. You can ask us on Instagram. I I do a lot of the Instagram part. Carol does a lot of the Twitters. And then if you guys ask Carol a question on Instagram, I shoot her a picture and tell her to answer it, because sometimes I don't know about Indiana. And then where else are we, Carol? I said Twitter. I said Instagram. I said Facebook. I know we got a little bit on Pinterest. Not much, but a little bit.
0: Well, they can always email us at thegardenangelist at gmail.com. If they have specific questions, we'd be
1: happy to answer them. You can find us individually, too, at all of our various incarnations. We're so grateful that you guys listen to us. And if you are on a various social media and want to spread the word about our garden podcast, we will be forever grateful. And if you tag us in it, we'll share it, too. Thanks so much. It was great talking to you, Carol.
0: Great talking to you. Bye now.
1: Bye.